and it's taken from Luke chapter 8. Uh, it can be found on page uh, 1036. Uh, last week in the previous chapter, we heard about uh, Simon the Pharisee who asked Jesus to come and eat with him and about the, um, the woman who washed his feet. After this, Jesus travelled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Joanna, the wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's household. Susanna, and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. While a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told this parable. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, it was trampled on, and the birds ate it up. Some fell on rocky ground, and when it came up, the plants with it because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop, a hundred times more than was sown. When he had said this, he called out, Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. His disciples asked him what this parable meant. He said, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to others I speak in parables, so that, though seeing, they may not see, though hearing, they may not understand. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. The seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches and pleasures, and they do not mature. But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. No one lights a lamp and hides it in a clay jar or puts it under a bed. Instead, they put it on a stand so that those who come in can see the light. For there is nothing hidden that will not be disclosed and nothing concealed that will not be known or brought out into the open. Therefore, consider carefully how you listen. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they think they have, will be taken away from them. Now, Jesus' mother and brothers came to see him, but they were not able to get near him because of the crowd. Someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to see you. He replied, my mother and brothers are those who hear God's word and put it into practice. Well, please keep your Bibles open 
uh, Luke chapter 8. And there's an outline in your handouts. If you want to take notes or just follow along, you can do that. Uh, as I said before, it's really great uh, to be back at Harrington Park. It's great to come and visit. And uh, open God's word with you is, is a blessing and a privilege. And uh, the plan for a church plant is always for the pastor to just kind of stay there for six months or so every week, be there. Um, and it's good that kind of we've over that six months and it's good to, to come and visit, visit Harrington Park, particularly while Jono's away. Jono and his family are doing six hundred six and a half thousand kilometres in 10 or 12 days. Because Jono just does silly things like that. Um, but uh, if you've seen the photos on Facebook, they look like they're having a ball, which is good. I'm going to pray and then we'll look at Luke. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, the Bible. We thank you for Luke, who was so meticulous and careful in writing an orderly account for us so that we can know the truths about Jesus. Uh, we pray now as we look at what would be a, a familiar passage to many uh, who have been Christians for a long time, that you will open our hearts and strike us anew uh, with the good news that we have hope for the future and with the, the warning and the encouragement uh, to listen to Jesus and heed his words. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we're fairly kind of interactive at um, Gregory Hills Anglican these days. I think it works better when the crowd's small, but let's try it in a big crowd anyway. Um, have you been enjoying reading through Luke and working through Luke the last six months? And can I ask you, not a rhetorical question, what have been some of the highlights? Feel free to flick through your Bibles quickly if you want. Uh, what have been some of the highlights and things that you kind of stuck out for you in the book of Luke? Be brave, come on. Yes. He does, doesn't he? Yeah, I, I have been confronted afresh, um, I think, with Jesus' words in the book of Luke. I was quite struck to discover that we are greater than John the Baptist, who was the greatest prophet that ever lived, lived in the, uh, the eyes of Jesus, because we have that insight and blessing more than what John had into who Jesus is. You know the things that have struck you as you've read? Yes, he is, isn't he? He's got great compassion on people. He takes time to heal people. I was quite struck that as people came to him to get healed, he laid his hand on, he didn't need to do that, but he did. He laid his hand on each one uh, as he healed. I hope you've been really encouraged as you've worked your way through Luke. I've been um, overwhelmed by the Old Testament fulfilment that's in Luke. We've been constantly Looking back to the Old Testament, um, the book of Luke's pushed us back uh, to the OT, which has been really great. And it's going to do that again for us today. I think lots of Isaiah comes out in Luke, and we're going to see a bit more of that again um, today. So I'm just going to be very clear about who's who in the passage right up the front so that we can be clear. The sower in the passage is Jesus. Jesus is the sower. The seed is the word of God. So the word on Jesus' lips is the seed and you are the soil and I am the soil. And the question that Luke has for us today is what kind of soil are we and what kind of soil are we to be? 
And maybe we're the kind of soil that we are to be, and I think by and large we are. We'll talk about that more. Um, Our church is growing and growing and growing and growing, which is a great blessing. We've seen 20-odd percent growth uh, at Harrington Park Anglican pretty much consistently for 10 years or more, which is great, Jono tells me. And now we've started a new congregation in Gregory Hills, just the other side of Camden Valley Way, which meets in that factory unit in Smeaton Grange, which is really great and really close uh, to Gregory Hills. From what I can see, as a group, we are the good soil of this parable. We are the good soil, our parish. God's word is going forth in Harrington Park and in Gregory Hills and the surrounding suburbs, and that's great. That's wonderful. What is happening here is wonderful. It's really good. Um, And as we look through the parable of the sower, we'll see that though that we should be joyous and glad, we mustn't be complacent in what is happening here and in the blessings that we have. There are warnings in this parable for us to take note of. So in our passage today, we we see the good news of the kingdom of God is spreading. It said the good news there of God's kingdom is spreading, starting to spread. Many have received it. Many, many are coming to hear it. And even some in high society have given their lives to Jesus. I wonder if you noticed in those first few verses, look again if you want, the very high-profile woman who is a follower of Jesus. Verse 3, several women have now become disciples of Jesus and they're giving uh, out of their, their giving service and they're giving money to support the disciples. And one in particular is Joanna, the wife of Chusa. She's the, manic- she's the wife of the manager of Herod's household. Herod, you may remember, you may not. Herod is a Roman tetrarch. He's the one who imprisoned John the Baptist. He's the one who not too long down the track will behead John the Baptist. There were four tetrarchs in the Roman Empire. So there was the Caesar, who was the top dog, and then there was these four tetrarchs. So he was a very powerful man, Herod. And the gospel had infiltrated his household as well. Chusa was a very powerful man managing Herod's household and his wife had become a follower of Jesus. God's word had penetrated and continues to penetrate the upper echelons of society and Jesus had not even gone to the cross yet. Many are putting their trust in Jesus. But sadly, as this parable makes very clear, many are not. And we've seen in Luke already that many have gathered to him from all over the countryside. So Ben talked about the area they've come from is something like Gosford to Wollongong, sort of they've travelled into Sydney sort of thing. They've travelled 100 kilometres or so on foot, no cars, to, uh, to hear Jesus and many to be healed by Jesus. It's amazing. And Luke now adds in verse 4, if you want to have a look with me, While a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told this parable. It's a sea of people gathered already and if you look past the sea of people, you can see more people are on their way to hear Jesus and see what he has to say. Many people would have been farmers in the first century and appealing to their farming culture, Jesus tells this parable of the sower. 
But it's not just about farming. In fact, it's not really about farming at all. There's a much deeper uh, underlying meaning uh, to this. Uh, Please keep your Bibles open and and look at verse 5 now. Um, A farmer went out to sow his seed. Now, the picture on the screen is not the picture to have in mind, okay, for first century farmers. Uh, This is a seed sowing machine, not the first century. The The next picture is probably a bit more... Pertinent, there we go. Um, probably wouldn't have had a baseball cap on, but I <laughs> don't think baseball was invented. Who knows? Um, first century Palestinian farms would have been much smaller. If we go to the next slide, we'll see a typical first century farm. Um, commonly, there was a path running through the middle of the farm for, for, pe- for travellers, uh, for people to walk along. And so the farmer would have gone along with a, seed, a sack of seed on his shoulder And he would have been evenly spreading the seed uh, amongst his land, amongst his newly ploughed field. If you look at verse 5 there, as he was scattering the seed, some fell along this path. And when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil. I miss the rocky ground. Some fell on rocky ground. Did I read that? Sorry. Some fell on rocky ground. When it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown. You can leave that for a while. Thanks, Peter. So there's four types of soil upon which the seed falls, the first being the path. It's It's not really soil at all. Um, I take it the seed accidentally falls on the path when the farmer's kind of throwing it around. This path is well trodden by people and the seed is exposed. It's exposed to the traveller's boots and it's exposed to the birds and so it's trodden on, it's squashed, it's, if not, quickly snatched up by the birds. This seed has little chance at all. The second... uh, falls on kind of a thin layer of soil that it's concealing rock that the farmer wouldn't have seen. And when this soil takes root, it's so shallow that it can't really dig down and find the moisture. So the plant sprouts, but it sprouts very small and weak. And as soon as a hot sunny day comes, the second plant withers and dies. And the third type of soil also appears to be good on the surface. But what the farmer doesn't know is, despite the fact that it does take root and the plant does dive down and it does find moisture, that as the plant grows, it grows in competition with thorns and with thistles. And the thorns and the thistles grapple with the plant and often will choke it out. Best case scenario, the thorns will kind of stunt the growth of the plant so it can't really grow and bloom as it should. Now, the fourth type of soil is good soil. There's no rock underneath. There's no thorns or thistles nearby waiting to sprout. And when the seed takes root in the soil, it grows strong and yields a great crop a hundred times more than what was sown, says Luke. Thanks, Peter. So Jesus tells this parable And then he calls out in a loud voice for all to hear, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. 
At that point, those who were a bit distracted, they turned back. Those who may be fallen asleep as God's word was preached, woke up with a start. We're in great danger if our ears are closed whenever God's word is preached. Look at verse 10. The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you, you who are listening, but to others I speak in parables so that those seeing they may not see, though hearing they may not understand. Jesus is quoting Isaiah 6. And the bit he doesn't quote that comes next in Isaiah 6, which many of the people would have been very familiar with, is God's pronouncement of judgment upon the nation of Israel for their unwillingness to receive God's word. When God's word is preached, Israel were asleep. Their ears were shut. In the same vein, Jesus speaks in parables, so those who aren't particularly interested in God's word won't hear and they won't understand. It's a stern warning to test our hearts to see if our hearts are actually warm towards Christ and his word. If our ears are open, it's a good sign that our hearts are warm. If our ears are shut to God's word, it's a good sign that our hearts are cold. There were people in the crowd... They weren't particularly interested in God's word. They're just making up the numbers, really. They just come to see a show. But the follower of Jesus always has their ears open to what God has to say to them. Open ears are a sign of an open heart. Similarly, open Bibles in church and at home are a sign of an open heart towards God and his word. Closed ears, closed Bibles, closed heart. So, for those who have ears to hear, in this case, Jesus' disciples who are in his presence and who are here today, Jesus goes on to explain the parable. As a preacher, this has to be my favourite parable to preach because Jesus explains it himself and he does the hard work for me and that's fantastic. Um, So there's four types of soil. We're going to look at them in your outline there. Four different types of hearts that correspond to the four different types of soil. So look at verse 12. Those along the path are the ones who hear, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. The path is like the the heart that is sealed shut against God's word. The words go into their ears. They hear, but they don't listen. They're not listening to God's word. And when the seed that is the word of God reaches the ears and travels to the heart of such a person, it's snatched away from the devil by the devil very quickly. There are two powerful forces vying for your hearts. The Holy Spirit and the devil are both vying for your hearts. The devil wants you to believe that God is not real. And at best, God is irrelevant. That's what the devil wants you to believe 
in his heart of hearts. And if the word is preached and you're not listening, well, that's a win for him. That's a bonus. When the devil's winning the war in a person's heart, they will hear the word of God in church or over the fence as you share the gospel and they'll reject it as rubbish immediately. And in the end, such a person, like the seed, will be trodden on in judgment, devoured by the evil one on the final day. Friends, can I urge you not to let the devil win the war for your heart, but to keep open ears and open hearts to God's word. Warm your hearts to the good news of the kingdom of God. Christ has overcome sin and death and the devil for you. And that is great news. Submit your life and your will to him and allow the Holy Spirit to win the war for your heart. The second type of soil explained in verse 13. Those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. Now, I've seen this in people, sadly. They hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, they receive it positively. This sounds good to me. I want to follow him. They might do an explaining Christianity course or something like that, might even start coming to church for a while. But then when following Jesus gets a little tough, a little difficult, life circumstances change, it just gets too hard and they decide life, Jesus isn't for them after all. And it's tragic. Their roots in Christ are shallow and they fall away. It's heartbreaking for the one who led them to Christ and ultimately, of course, it's heartbreaking. It's destructive for them. What's clear from the Bible is that those types of people were never really Christians at all, never really committed to Jesus. Uh, Romans 8, 14 to 16, which will be on the screen, those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship and by him we cry, Abba, Father, If you've received the Holy Spirit, if you put your trust in Jesus, you will call God your father, you'll call God your dad. You won't walk away from him. It's clear that the people with a rocky heart never really submitted their lives and their wills to Jesus, so never received the Holy Spirit. If they did, they would not and indeed could not walk away. The third type of soil, thanks Peter, is the one that has a mixture of the good seed and thorns and thistles amongst it. There's competition going on. And I want us to pay particular attention to this one because I think this one can be common amongst us, which is a danger. Look at verse 14. The seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they're choked by life's worries and riches and pleasures, and they do not mature. The third soil is the one which takes the seed in and the seed takes root and the seed finds water and grows into a plant. 
Hardships don't deter it. It doesn't wither in the heat. It continues to grow. However, right next to this plant grows thorns and thistles. And they grow in competition for the good soil and they they entangle one another. And Jesus says that the thorns and the thistles are life's worries and life's riches and life's pleasures. Life's worries, riches and pleasures tangle together with the Christian and stunt their growth. And worst case scenario, choke them to death. And I think this is a situation we need to be most careful of. And as I read one commentator, he explained it like this, and I'll put it on the screen for you. Fruitfulness, as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, is prevented by excessive concern about one's welfare, possessions and comfort. This is the cry of the modern Sydney cider. My own welfare, my possessions and my comfort are what the average Sydney cider seeks and what our city screams you need. You need to look after number one. You need more things and better things and bigger things. You need to be more comfortable, eat better food constantly, wear better clothes, have a better house, drive a better car. The fruitfulness that Jesus has in mind is kingdom fruitfulness, which is prevented by welfare, overly over-concerned with welfare possessions and comfort. Giving thought, time and effort to endeavours with eternal consequences is what Jesus has in mind. So I wonder if you were to, if you were to draw up a timetable of your week last week, how much of it is committed to earthly endeavours that are significant now but cease to have significance in heaven? How much of your time is committed to endeavours with eternal consequences? Things such as praying for the lost, studying the Bible, doing the work of evangelism, encouraging fellow Christians in some way, serving a church or serving your church through the week. Now, I'm not saying... You should be door knocking all day, every day, every Saturday, trying to share the gospel. Though please do if you want to. That would be great. That would be awesome. What I'm asking is, and what Jesus is asking is, do you have a kingdom focus in mind as you choose how to spend your time? Especially your spare time and flexible time. Are we asking ourselves at the start of each day, no matter what we're doing, we'll be working, we'll be looking after the kids, we'll be going to school, all that kind of thing, are we asking ourselves, how can I live today for Jesus? How can I bear fruit for the kingdom today in whatever it is that I'm doing? Are we asking ourselves that? Or are we asking ourselves the other question, the worldly question, How can I make myself and my family more comfortable today? To desire riches and comfort, to obsess on the worries of this life is to fertilise the weeds that are in competition with your fruitfulness as a Christian and it will stunt your growth as a Christian. 
the worst case scenario is that when one decides that riches and comfort are actually the way to go and give up completely on Christ. Thanks. And fourth and final, of course, is the so named good soil. The good soil is not shallow. It does not have thorns and thistles hidden amongst it. It is fertile. It's ready to receive the good seed and it yields a crop a hundred times more than what was sown. This is, Jesus tells us, the noble and good heart, the heart that's warm towards God's word and eager to learn from it, the heart that's oriented towards Jesus and his plans for the world and for us rather than my plans and my selfish desires. Now let's be clear for those at risk of feeling guilt for going to work or looking after the kids or exercising or going on holidays. They're not bad things. They're good things in and of themselves. The person who will bear fruit for Jesus is not required to read the Bible six hours a day and door knock their whole street every week and turn up to church three hours early. They're not required to have no fun and no exercise and no holidays. That's not what we're saying at all. What we're saying is that we have kingdom priorities. If you want to bear fruit for God's kingdom, his priorities need to take precedence over yours, is what we're saying. As you work, as you look after the kids, as you go on holidays, as you exercise, you're thinking, I'm doing this for Jesus and for his glory. And I want to bear fruit for him in my life. God's plans are first and foremost in your mind and in your heart, is what we're saying. And I've seen that time and time and time again in our church. People whose priorities are Jesus' priorities. We say that everywhere in our church, all the time. People joyfully and willfully, willingly serving on the roster, week in, week out. People who are in hardship or people who have just had a new baby receiving hot meals for weeks from our church. We have multiple women's outreach events and men's outreach events and kids' holiday club, which is huge. But we do that for Jesus. And I'm so encouraged and impressed and, can I say, proud of our youth who lead children's ministries, who lead kids' church, who lead kids' club. You guys who are here are wonderful, and it's wonderful that you're doing that. Many of our youth now attend youth group on a Friday night, then they serve at morning church on Sunday morning, then they attend a Bible study with Ben on Sunday afternoon, then they go to night church on Sunday night. And that seems like a lot. But what would you rather be doing? What would you rather have them doing? It's wonderful. It's fruitfulness for Christ. And have you spoken to them about it? Have you heard them lead church in prayer? They are amazing. They're a wonderful blessing. They are the good soil. I love that the men have banded together to take on setup and pack up each week. And many of them, when they're not even on the roster, they just pitch in and help out their mates to get it done. It's not a fun job. But it pleases the Lord. And so they do it. 
We've adopted the same mentality at Gregory Hills. The men do set up, the men do pack up and serve the church in that way. I love and am blessed and am privileged to serve with the team at Gregory Hills Anglican. They're a wonderful bunch of servant-hearted people. They're so encouraging. It hasn't been easy, but that's what makes it an even greater blessing. Sacrificing for Jesus. What a blessing. that We get to sacrifice for him who died for us. I'm overwhelmed. The two-something-year-olds in our church, 20-odd, sorry, 20-something-year-olds, they're 26, 27, opened up their house for months for church. They've been married for two years. That is unbelievable, really. I'm overwhelmed. They are the good soil, bearing fruit for the kingdom. And every year, of course, we put on a carols, which is epic and a massive blessing to our community. It's wonderful. It takes about 11 and a half months to plan. I think the team have two weeks off after the girls and they're back into planning. And it's a wonderful blessing. About 100 people on the roster or something. It's, it's a lot. It's a testament to our church being the good soil who has received the word of God who delights in the word of God and obeys the word of God and seeks to please God above themselves. That's what our church is like. And notice in verse 15 that such a person and such a church will persevere through trials. Hard times come for a crop, driving rain, howling wind, but the crop that has firm roots will stand the test and continue to grow. The good soil stands in contrast to the seed on the rock which withers and dies under trial. And we've seen that. Our church in the last 12 to 18 months has really been tested and put under trial. I've been tested and put under trial. But together we've banded together and we've stood the test. We've fought together. We've kept on running. Last year was hard. We had to dig deep into our pockets Feel the anxiety, all of us, of planning a church, of losing dear friends to the other side of Camden Valley Way, which isn't far, but it is far. We don't see each other every week. I miss you guys, and I know you miss your friends who moved over to Gregory Hills. It was hard to go. It was a very hard year for Jono, dealing with diocesan administration that could sink the Queen Mary, dealing with Camden Council, applying for funding from different quarters all the while wishing he could do what he was trained to do, which was pastor his church and teach the Bible. It was hard for all of us. And I'm really excited about the impending partnership series. And I know Jono is too, as we've met in our staff team. He'll preach here, I'll preach there, and it'll be a great time of refocusing on growing as Christians, refocusing on together reaching out, into the community with this good news, which we have. It's going to be exciting, the partnership series. It's going to be warmer, (laughs) which will be great. The door will open. (laughs) It's going to be brilliant. A great time to regroup, I think. I think we've done the hard work the last 12 to 18 months of, of laying the foundation, of acquiring the hub, of starting the new church. It's time to enjoy, I think, 
building on that foundation, which we've fought hard to build the last year, a year and a half. I'm very tempted to end my sermon right there, but I just (laughs) want to quickly give you four quick implications, four things to see and do from our passage. And the first is that Jesus' disciples are the ones who listen to his word. Can I just remind you of that? Disciple means student, listening to the teacher, reading the Bible, having a Bible in our laps in church, having energy in church to be able to listen and Focus and learn. When Jesus says there in verse 16, no one lights a lamp and hides it in a clay jar or puts it under a bed. Instead, they put it on a stand so that those who come in can see the light. I think for Luke, I think for Matthew and Mark, this is primarily about evangelism. I think for Luke, it's not, I'm sure, I'm confident they're all right, but I think Luke's primary concern is that we're listening to Jesus. Jesus is this light. God's word is our light to our lives. It's a lamp to our feet. It's wisdom for our decision-making. We need to be reading and thinking about God's word often. Be students of the Bible, daily, preferably. And the soap journal is a great way to get started if, if you haven't read the Bible regularly ever or if you've kind of stopped for a while. Secondly, there's a stern warning to those who refuse to listen to Jesus. If you're sitting here today hardened in your heart against Jesus, please heed Jesus' warning. Not my warning, Jesus' warning. Verse 17, there is nothing hidden that will not be disclosed and nothing concealed that will not be known or brought out into the open. Therefore, consider carefully how you listen. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they think they have, will be taken from them. There will be a day of judgment when all of the sins of man will be brought out into the light and revealed. And anyone who's not safe in Christ will face God's wrath for their sin. They'll find themselves in judgment. And whatever you think you have now, wealth, status, education, physical prowess, will be taken away by God on that day. Thirdly, on the other hand, the one who does listen to Jesus and heed his word is blessed richly with wisdom and the fruit of the Spirit and they'll be given even more. Not only are we given forgiveness and reconciliation and salvation, but we're blessed even more, made more fruitful by God for the kingdom. There is spiritual gain here. We grow in wisdom, we grow in compassion, we grow in love for others, we grow in our ability to love others, we grow in our evangelistic zeal as we open our ears constantly to the word of God. And if you want to see what it looks like for God to be working powerfully in people, look at Mel's Kids Club leaders and what they are doing with their lives at such a young age. Fourthly and finally, be encouraged by the enormous blessing that our church has already been given. Thanks, Peter. Next slide and final slide. We have a wonderful church here in Harrington Park doing great things. And because of your faithfulness, generosity and servant-heartedness, we now have another church across the road in Gregory Hills. And we found our night church moving, um, doing church over there as well. We are growing 
because we are hearing God's word and putting it into practice. Please keep praying for Gregory Hills Church. Gregory Hills Church is committed to keep praying for Harrington Park Church as well. May God be glorified more and more as we grow, as we see many more come to Christ. Let me pray. Gracious Lord, wonderful, generous Father, Father of mercy, we thank you so much for your blessing upon us. We thank you for the many, many people in our church who are like the good soil, who have received your word and have listened and obeyed. Father, may may we continue to be and may we all be good soil for you. Make us good soil, warm towards your word, fertile, ready to receive your word and to grow. Please grow us in number. Please grow us in godliness and maturity all that you might be glorified more. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.